Good morning, dear colleagues. I'm very happy to be uh, back here in Oxford. Um, it's a special uh, week, of course. Uh, we're still in Europe, that's the good news. Um, let us make uh, the coming week, let us uh, enjoy the coming week more than all the previous weeks. And I calculated yesterday evening, 2,353 weeks this country has been a member of EC slash EU. So we are in historic times, but I won't uh, talk any further about Brexit, but I just want to have it mentioned. <laughs> I'm going to talk about image, speech, image and impact, and I want to share with you uh, today some efforts we made to increase the impact of our speeches. The central question was, what can we do to make the audience uh, remember better what has been said? or at least the key message or outline of the speech. But first I want to do something completely different. I want you to relax, maybe you look at this beautiful picture. Concentrate, just listen very carefully. Don't make any notes. And don't worry, I'm going to mention 20 words, but you won't have to write a dinner speech with them for tonight. You'll get other words, I'm sure. Uh, it's a little memory test, and I'm going to mention 20 words. Here they come. Attention. First one, tower. Tower. Strange. Mosquito. Abstract. Number five. Forest and to obey, relief, concept, a guitar, skin, power. Family physician, <laughs> banana, an avalanche, to require, <coughs> empowerment, lovely, and the second loss is Finland, and as for Finland, I want to mention the fact that uh, according to the recent World Happiness Report, this is the most happy country on earth. And I want to congratulate with that Antti, Mari and Uma. It's really true, the news was uh, two weeks ago, I think. And the last, the last word is ferocious. So. I want you to take a piece of paper and a pen or some electronic device. I hope there's uh, enough paper today. Yesterday, during uh, Stephen's uh, training, we had lack of paper. For some reason, I hope there's enough paper, but you can also <coughs> use them in your mobile. And I'm 
go to ask you to write the 20 words down from memory in same order, same sequence, <laughs> I mentioned them. Go ahead. You have to work today. It's not easy listening here. So take your time and concentrate. Somebody needs more time, perhaps, or <coughs> you give up, it's all possible. So, are we ready for it? First one, the tower. <coughs> there we go, strange. Number three, mosquito. Remember the same order, we need to have the same order. Abstract, forest, to obey, relief, concept, guitar, and with the skin. You meet afterwards, perhaps. Banana, avalanche, to require empowerment. <coughs> Lovely. And Finland again, here we go. Ferocious. <laughs> yeah, so who of you had all 20 words correct? Is there a genius here? Go for ten words, at least ten correct. Really? In the right order. In the Really? So uh, you you are genius as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Or you know the hidden you know the hidden secrets. I didn't, I didn't get them in order. Oh. No, you, they should be in the same order. Institute called uh, Purple Monkey Brain Education, a brilliant name, which is very easy to remember. <laughs> and I had like I myself had only four four correct words. I thought I was despondent and desperate. I thought, there I go. It must be precocious dementia. And then, <laughs> uh, but fortunately, this turned out not to be the fact. Well, yet. And uh, a score like this is, is completely normal. If you think uh, in words, if you just want to mem memorize words, and words are just abstract, abstract things, abstract combinations of abstract letters, but you can do much better using uh, memory techniques. And let me take you now for a story all the way to, uh, to Russia, to the, to the year 1900. Uh, to the provincial town of Toshok, which is like 180 miles northwest 
of Moscow, direction Petersburg, and direction Finland as well. Uh, it consists of some, uh, some fine stone houses for the bourgeois, some wooden dilapidated houses for the proletarians, some fine, nice Russian Orthodox churches whose uh, golden colored and under-shaped domes uh, dominate uh, the city. And uh, there's a thriving musical culture with classical music, but we have also folk-like music and during festivals and in pubs you, you, you hear balalaikas and you hear songs like Kalinka 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 Maya Saduya Gora Malika Malika Kalinka 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 Let's rush, let's rush it. 1900. And here we find our today's hero. It's a Jewish Russian. Uh, Boy Solomon Vindanovich Shevsky is born in 1886. He's a musically highly talented guy uh, and he's meant to become a professional violin player. But then all of a sudden destiny strikes and he gets this very nasty uh, ear disease, developing hearing problems and as consequently he can't become uh, a musician anymore. It doesn't make him deaf but he can't become a musician. And he, instead he will become a reporter, a journalist, and we find him back in the, in the 20s. It's meanwhile the Soviet Union. We find him back at the local uh, newspaper in Moscow. Uh, and then uh, one day, after a morning briefing, uh, his chief editor gets very annoyed because he didn't make any notes. So uh, he rebukes him, uh, well, for heaven's sake, uh, didn't you make any notes, he says, and uh, Solomon says, well, sir, I'm sorry, it's not, no need to, because I remember everything that has been said, and he repeats the entire morning briefing wordly, which is uh, chief editor can't check, of course, because the guy himself has no photographic memory. So he uh, does a test, and he reads out a newspaper article, and again, Solomon um, repeats it literally. Both are astonished chief editor because of the memory of his journalist and Solomon is astonished by the fact that apparently not all memories work the way this one does. And uh, the rest of the colleagues is history. He is sent to, uh, to Luria, an, uh, a neuropsychologist, so, so, oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, well, uh, there will be some horrible pictures ahead. <laughs> so, so he sent it to uh, to Alexander Luria, who has this uh, this uh, memory tested, researched, and the main conclusion about Solomon's memory was observation by different senses were intermingled. He was a so-called synesthete. And his brain automatically supplemented words with images, smells, uh, flavors, feelings, etc. So what can we uh, what can we learn from this? Uh, if you want to remember things, structure what you want to remember, make a story out of it. A well-known system uh, or technique is the so-called change system, in which you make uh, the elements you want to remember, the key elements in your story. Maybe you 
had this technique, he used the technique. It's a, um, the results are remarkable, incredible. Uh, make the items in the story exceptional, exaggerate, uh, make it bizarre, add humor, add personal touch and use all your senses in the story, add flavor, smell, sounds, feelings, and above all, visualize. Picture yourself the story mentally. Images are powerful information carriers. They remain, they sink in properly, and they make lasting impression. And this is an example. This is now fake news. This was published by the Volkswagen, one of the leading uh, Dutch dailies. It's a report about an incident in Zoo in Taiwan in 2007, where a staff member, member fought, uh, who had to, uh, to give the crocodile some medicine, thought he had uh, numbed uh, the creature sufficiently, which apparently uh, was not the case. So his arm was bitten off. But in hospital, surgeons succeeded in reattaching uh, the arm. And <coughs> the headline says, this was the actual news, uh, arm bitten off by crocodile reattached again. That was the article about. <coughs> the, but uh, the picture was about the incident itself. Uh, this picture. <laughs> Enjoy it for a moment. I think we have enough now. Okay. Sorry for this, if necessary. <laughs> so, probably, the, you will remember the fact that the arm was bitten off, probably better than the fact that it was reattached. <laughs> so, I want to tell you that uh, this picture says more than, a, than 150 words of the article. They say a picture or an image can speak uh, better or louder than a thousand words. There's some truth in it. Fortunately, we, uh, we speech writers, we think by intuition or not by explicitly, we know this and we already try to visualize our language as much as possible. We use metaphors, etc., because they sink in better. Uh, we also know from uh, other research that uh, a lot of the information uh, in, of speeches comes across through non-verbal communication, not by the words themselves. There's this uh, research done by uh, Albert Meridian. It's often abused, uh, I must say. Uh, and he's often quoted that 93% uh, of all information is, is transmitted by non-verbal communication. I think this is uh, exaggeration. And Albert uh, Meridian himself stated that uh, this is only true in, in certain cases. For example, if the speaker speaks of her or his own strong emotions, or if there's no match at all between body language and the words <coughs> themselves. So how can we use this as a speech writer? One could think of providing the audience with a, uh, a kind of synesthetic experience, giving them a well, ceremonial treat, so to speak. Uh, however, to attack all the senses of the audience simultaneously seems a bit overdone. Uh, this would mean a kind of a multimedia show overwhelming the public with spoken words 
combined with background images, music sounds, perhaps even fragrances, smells well. Uh, as the Germans say so eloquently in Der Beschränkungszeitlich der Meister, in English something like, in limitation the master shows himself. Considering the fact that images probably have the most uh, lasting impact, we decided to focus on photography and other images uh, to support some of the major speeches, Mr. Walter Kolmes and State Secretary Tamara van Aert delivered last year. I want you to get uh, to give uh, one major example. It's uh, called the so-called Cedrus uh, uh, Lecture. And Cedrus is a Dutch association of social entrepreneurs. She delivered a speech uh, in February 2018. It was a speech of about uh, 25 minutes dealing with the so-called inclusive labor market. The audience consisted of major stakeholders, representatives of employees' organizations, um, including social enterprises, trade unions, NGOs, uh, older non-experts, civil servants, and so on. And the central question of the speech was how do we include workers with uh, some form of disability, either mental or, the, or physical, in other words, how do we help them to get a job? Or in macro terms, how do we make our, market, our labor market more inclusive? Despite economic growth and shortage of workers, in many sectors still half of them are out of work. This is not only economically unsound, but also socially and morally unacceptable. I think history will judge a government or even a society by the extent to which it su succeeds in offering perspective to its most vulnerable citizens. We tried to cover the whole speech in just seven background uh, pictures. There's 25 minutes speech, seven background pictures, including this black screen during the intro of the speech. And I will uh, give you a brief outline of the speech, including the background images. So ladies and gentlemen, good morning. We are dealing with a very important issue today. We all share the same goal, how to offer perspective to disabled workers. We might have different, different opinions on how to make our labor market more inclusive, but we do agree that disabled workers deserve a fair chance. If necessary, with some support to get them there by the government. Many of them can work and are really eager to do so. But let me first look into, back into history. There's a special reason to do so today. This year our ministry exists a hundred years. <coughs> Mr. Piet Albers as its first minister. He was the one who started building the social system we have today and of which I'm so proud. In his days, society was much more small-scale and informal. Communities tended to be inclusive by nature, and so was the labor market. In many cases, disabled got a chance through informal networks. The uncle of the neighbor happened to be the owner of the factory, or the local clergyman or priest had some very good connections. But society grew more complex and disabled workers were not to remain dependent on opportunities that popped up through informal channels. 
the mother state was to provide opportunities. And social regulation developed. Disabled workers got jobs in so-called sheltered uh, workshops, mostly large-scale and subsidized by the government. This turned out to become an exclusive labor market, however. Disabled workers were separated from sheltered employment <coughs> instead of being included in regular firms. Workers in regular companies didn't have any disabled colleagues at all. Although part of life, disability increasingly got out of sight. These regulations turned out to be costly as well. Since the 90s, we find ourselves back in a transformation to a more inclusive labor market, but this time in a modern sense, where it's normal again to have disabled colleagues. Sheltered employment should be reserved for those who, due to the very nature of their disability, really cannot function in a regular environment. The standard, however, should be a regular environment. Government support is available to give both workers and employees necessary support. It's also really important that both are relieved from bureaucratic rules. Together, we can make final steps to make our labor market really more inclusive. It requires an open mind from all of us. This is not always easy, but the yields are high. Workers will be better off, employees will be better off, and the Netherlands will be better off. So this footage gives some impression of the speech. The arbeidsmarkt is veel lokaler dan nu. Plaatselijke, persoonlijke contacten zijn de sleutel naar werk. En mensen kennen elkaar. En ook mensen die misschien niet zo heel goed mee kunnen komen, hebben een gezicht. Want ons kent ons in het dorp of in de buurt. So excuse me for the funny sounds, it's uh, Dutch. <laughs> it's one of those languages they speak across the channel out there. <laughs> well, another advantage of this way of working is of course that it yields uh, some good uh, tweetable images, so it's good for publicity. You see some examples. Uh, on the left you see uh, photos that were shared by Twitter. On the right hand you see uh, some comments. Uh, the upper comment says, fine historical analysis. And I'm sure this is partly due to the fact that we used uh, the historical pictures. Uh, it also uh, uh, gives you some challenge because many times in speeches we, are, we deal with uh, very abstract uh, concepts. Uh, and how do you depict abstract concepts like uh, uh, regulations or bureaucracy? So I'll give you some examples of pictures that we use to depict such abstract concepts. The first one is this. It's from another major speech by Tamara van Aert, and uh, I wanted to depict the concept of uh, the necessity, uh, necessity, necessity to work together in cooperation. Another one is from the same speech. This one depicts red tape of bureaucracy. 
and we thought this one was nice to uh, to depict. You recognize this one? Mm -hmm. To uh, depict uh, the necessity to relieve employers from bureaucratic rules, or the necessity to, to as we call in Dutch, to deworry them and zorgen. Another one is this from a major speech uh, written by my colleague speechwriter Michelle Knight, who unfortunately couldn't be here this year. But she attended two years ago here in Oxford, and so she used this one uh, to depict the concept of social innovation. And from the same speech, it was a major speech on the future of the labour market. She used this one to depict the concept of a future. I think. Uh, in the course of today, we have a contribution on the future of speech writing. This would be an appropriate <laughs> picture, perhaps, to go with it. Finally, of course, one uh, could combine more senses, not only photography. Uh, I said before, maybe it would be a bit overdone, but she could do it. She could uh, combine speak speaking. Have heavy mimics, gestures, body language, limb movements, choreography, perhaps even singing. And, well, don't get me wrong, I don't want to bash the current president of the United States. <laughs> um, I really don't want to. It's a respectful job. But this compilation from 2017 by the British musician and video editor Sweet Mason is just good entertainment with which I would like to end this contribution. <coughs> and in, in his public performances, uh, Mr. Trump spoke the lines which put together happened to make up a large part of Once in a Lifetime, sung by the American band Talking Heads, released in 1881. <laughs> it got 3.2 uh, million views on YouTube. Just uh, watch and listen. Uh, the ones among you like to dance, <laughs> you can clap your hands on the rhythm and maybe rattle your jewelry. <laughs> Everything is possible.